Hello, everybody. It's time for another edition of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels. Thanks you for joining me on this sports podcast. And before we get going, I just want to make one brief announcement. Uh, I'm a tennis channel, as you know, and we got a new segment coming up that I'm the proud uh, creator of called Serving Up Stats. I really encourage everybody to check it out. There's a lot of hardworking people uh, that are doing great things on this project. My buddy George Pinozian puts together most of the edits for that. It's a great one to two minute clip of the most interesting and peculiar stats in the sport of tennis. We've run two episodes, one on the uh, conundrum that is Nick Kyrgios and this week on the WTA top 10, top 100 rankings, how there's only 14 teenagers in the entire top 100 and how 20 years ago that number was much, much higher at 20. So if you like you know, cool videos that might get the mind flowing some tennis, check us out, Serving Up Stats. We're on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we will be airing on network too. So just got to get my cheap plug on that. We put a lot of hard work into it, and glad to see it's taking off and some people watching it. But with that, the music starts. I am Mitch Michaels. It's time for another edition of this show. And with that, we're going to talk to Bradford Bruns coming back on the show, Skyping in all the way from St. Louis. We talk college football. Uh, the first playoff rankings, how they look, some big games this weekend, who we like, who we don't like. Bedlam, headline, a star-studded college football weekend. He also gives us thoughts on the World Series, the Houston Astros winning in seven games. Six throwing ones, I guess, one not-so-throwing one at the end. And then Edward Pino, a friend of mine, is going to come on the show and talk a little bit about his upbringing in the sports industry, making his way from Miami to then to Florida State, out to Los Angeles, working for ESPN Deportes, and then we talk some NFL storylines as well. It's the Money Mitch Effect, and it starts right now. Happy Friday. All right, back by popular demand. Back again for the first time in a while, it's Bradford Bruns to talk college football on the Money Mitch Effect. Bradford. Thanks for coming back. Post-Halloween, it's that time of year where I think uh, stranger things are happening. Oh, look at you, <laughs> sir. Look at you. It, it has been a while, and you did not you did not let me down, my friend. What, what an introduction, and what a reference right off the top. In a multitude of ways, you were on your A-game this evening, buddy. Yeah, before we get into the uh, – yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I try really hard. Uh, but before we get into the upside down that is college football this year, I want to just say oh, it's, no. it's been a sad, sad, somber day in the city of Los Angeles. Um, there was no World Series title last night. Dodgers fall to the Astros in a pretty entertaining, if not the most fundamentally well-played uh, World Series Dodgers fall to the Astros. Astros' first World Series title. They win in seven games, and the Dodgers – Fail to uh, win the first World Series I've seen in my lifetime than win uh, 29 years and counting still going. Bradford, it was an epic one. But Game 7, I got to say, and, I, and this is coming from an impartial fan that, you know, casually, I guess, rooted for the Dodgers but didn't really have a rooting interest. Kind of a letdown, mm -hmm. Game 7. Very much so. And it was a letdown, really, Mitch, from the top of the second inning moving forward. And I think that if you are an extremely cynical uh, Dodgers fan, if you're a fan or a supporter, obviously, of the way in which the Astros went about things, their style of baseball, you're elated at the fact that finally this franchise snags its first ever championship. But going into the game, and I understand it's very easy to reflect on this in immediate hindsight and say, well, what if the Dodgers would have tabbed Clayton Kershaw, for example? What if you Darvish game seven starts? The fact of the matter is that 
Houston's lineup, while everybody, the much bandied about subject throughout the National League playoffs going into the World Series, was the Dodgers' depth specifically from a pitching standpoint in the rotation, and rightfully so, I don't think enough credit across the nation, quite frankly, was given to the degree with which A.J. Hinch and his Astros could lengthen their lineup. Starting from the very beginning, the Herculean efforts of George Springer. We know what transcendent fall classic he had, and then up and down the order. Alex Bregman made Team USA the World Baseball Classic for a reason. His bat is just beginning to really lift off along with the exemplary defense. Correa, Altuve, on and on down through the list to the point where Carlos Beltran bless his heart, and in the age 40 season, doesn't get to be much an offensive contributor. He still wins his first World Series, but it just goes to show, it attests to the overall quality of this Houston roster, a roster, I might add, that was constructed in large part by a former Cardinals front office executive, yes, here in St. Louis. So, hey, I'd have packed for that information as well. But it was a letdown after the fact when you examine Game 7 in the grand scope of things. Was the series fantastic all the way around? I don't think there's any disputing that. But very early on, Houston certainly grabbed that stranglehold. And I was a little suspicious about the extent to which that bullpen in Houston would have been able to, yes, hang on. But some fine, fine work. Great job by Hinch as well as far as controlling the tempo and making sure that, hey, you're seeing in the third inning there with McCullers consistently getting into that trouble. Give him the quick hook. Didn't even have to go to Keuchel that much more quickly out of necessity. And Houston was able to cobble it together in a sense all the way to the World Series victory. And it sets up extremely positively, I think, Mitch, for the near future, the immediate horizon for Houston, as well as last year's champion, the Chicago Cubs, even your team, your beloved hometown Indians. There are so many exciting young teams with core nucleus lineups and pitching staffs intact for the next few years before you have to run into the inevitable payroll standoff that I think Major League Baseball right now, you can squibble. I think you can you can really have pick some holes in some of the ways in which uh, some of some of the long ball tendencies this season, but overall the game's in a great place right now. And I think Houston's efforts this season, very, very reflective of exactly that. It is, and unfortunately I think you'd have to throw the Yankees in there as well as one of the young up-and-coming teams. Um, but, look, the Dodgers, and the Dodgers are right there too. They left 10 men on base last night a lot, uh, in scoring position. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of it is going to be made about the decision to start Darvish, maybe not Kershaw. I don't really give that, you know, I don't really think that was the reason they lost, and, and I understand Kershaw played, pitched well, but starting as a different mindset as a different situation so it's one of those oh, yeah. things the Astros just went out they took it you know their bullpen held up when a lot of us myself included didn't think that it had the capability to do so um, the Astros deserved it and uh, I know you mentioned you know you know I know you mentioned your cardinal love I also want to say it's probably good to see Carlos Beltran win his first World Series ring and uh, Jim Crane owner of the Astros a uh, Central Missouri graduate so there's Missouri ties in this World Series for sure very nice, very nice. No doubt, and you referenced the bullpen, too. Think about it, Mitch. If you plug a little additional revenue, a little additional money over the off season in terms of trying to renovate that bullpen, you've already got the top of that rotation taking care of Verlander through a renovated or a renaissance, um, a re- reinvigorated Verlander, for that matter, through 2019. I know the vesting option was taken away for 2020 to pair alongside of Keuchel, too, and then as some of those other individuals in the back half of the rotation really begin to realize their potential, McCullers, et cetera, it's, it's scary to think, honestly, of the, the ability of the superiority that Houston could have in that division in the AL West for the conceivable future. 
We'll see what happens there. Uh, we just got to get Verlander back from Italy with Kate Upton if he gets married and see if he can sign again with Houston and stick around. But we'll see. I hey, <laughs> I'm happy for Beltron. I'm happy for all of the people of Houston, obviously, but I'm positively ecstatic for Justin Verlander. How wouldn't you be? <laughs> what a life. What a life. All right. Well, now we're going <laughs> to go over to uh, college football, uh, and that's where a lot of drama is taking place. Bradford Bruns, Money Mitch Effect. Week 9 is in the books. We had our first college football playoff rankings. So I want to start there and then kind of work our way back a couple games, and then we'll go spend a heavy mm-hmm. time amount on some big games this week. But we're into November. The playoff rankings are out, and it went as follows. Georgia. Alabama, Notre Dame, and Clemson would get the four spots on the initial ranking with Oklahoma, Ohio State, Penn State, TCU, Wisconsin, and Miami being the next out to round out the top ten in the playoff ranking. At the top, Georgia, Alabama, we figured, we assumed would be one and two of the best undefeated teams in the country. But this is just a testament, I think, early Bradford, of who had the stronger schedule. And it was clearly Georgia, given the big win over Notre Dame, but also some of the other games. On the road, I should say, over Notre Dame. But some of the other games they had, both these teams have done what they needed to do. Georgia just has played tougher teams and done a better job through eight games. Yeah, Georgia, and it all started as as you hinted at, of course, with that one-point squeaker over Notre Dame in Week 2, which, mind you, looks better and better with each Mm -hmm. passing day. I will contend somewhat, though, that while, yes, Georgia has had a moderately more difficult schedule than Alabama, I am going to say just moderately more difficult because outside of the Irish, can you really put that much stock into the schedule? Can you really, you don't want to penalize mm-hmm. Chubb and the gang for playing in the SEC East, and they did what had to be done on that schedule. However, when you're talking about a 40-plus point victory, a shutout over Tennessee. All right, it was in Knoxville, September the 30th. Fine. 53-28 against Missouri. Yawn. 42-7 versus Florida. We know how dire that situation has become. But I think that over the course of the next few weeks, my friend, Georgia is going to be pushed by Auburn. I think even Georgia Tech, actually, in the regular season finale yeah. there. To what degree? Stay tuned. But I want to see improved play out of the quarterback position. I understand that with Chubb, Michelle, in the backfield, they can absolutely run on anyone and everyone. I do think that the Georgia now with that proverbial target on its back of the number one spot, Can this team get through the rest of the regular season into the SEC title game unscathed? I think that is a definite, definite possibility. But I just do have a bit of an issue right now with those who say that Georgia's schedule so far to date, as we sit here opening the month of November, has been markedly better than Alabama. And I'm not punishing Georgia just because the Bulldogs are in the SEC East. But the state of affairs there, just the vast, the chasm between Georgia, in my opinion, and everybody else in the field, gives me an indication or gives me pause to say, has it been that much of a barometer to truly showcase Georgia as an elite, no question, top three team in the nation? To be determined, but definitely you have to ride with what Kirby Smart's team has displayed so far. I mean, that's fair. I guess my two counters to that would be, is the SEC West that much better? I mean, it just seems like Ah, these two teams are are just so far ahead of everybody in the SEC. And and that was a really big game. You can't undersell that. I think we should have appreciated it more. I mean, it's easy to say in hindsight – but Georgia-Notre Dame was yeah. such a great game and and will have uh, lasting implications throughout up until the final playoff ranking. But this is where it gets fun because 3-4 and four went Notre Dame and Clemson. And I know it's just the first ranking, and I know a lot of this is going to change. But what do you think, Bradford? Did the committee get it right? Would you have gone 3-4 Notre Dame-Clemson? I mean, there's no real wrong answer week one of the playoff rankings, but how would you have done it? 
Notre Dame, I have no contention whatsoever, Mitch, with Notre Dame actually being in that number three spot because we all understand that triumph from Michigan State early in the season. That was nice. But when did I really start to take notice of Ryan Kelly's crew? Well, October the 21st, I'm holding it down at a buddy's diaper party. You ever been to one of those, by the way? Uh, I, I believe so, but I don't want to confirm on that. But yes, I think so. It's it's a safe space, okay? You're getting to know your audience a bit better, and they in turn are getting to know you. It's okay. You're you're getting older. You'll have more of them as you go along. But anyway, we're at one of those functions. Anyway, I'm liking USC in that instance a couple of weeks ago in a close one, mind you. South Bend or not, I'm thinking the Trojans are going to be able to figure out a way to get it done. But Notre Dame positively blew the doors off of the Trojans. And this offense... It obviously, by this point, it demands your attention. I really think as well that Wimbush is making strides as a passer. The statistics aren't necessarily there, but what is he not doing? He's not turning the football over. Everything's on the ascent for the Golden Domers, and right now the number three spot, I think it's warranted. I look forward to seeing how this team finishes the regular campaign as well. And for Clemson, in my estimation, the Tigers, they are where they want to be. Nobody could have predicted, of course, that Syracuse disaster from a few weeks ago, but it happened now that isn't to say that November is going to be a, a cup of tea. I think NC State, actually, for a half this particular Saturday, Saturday could present some concerns. You've got Florida State. That's essentially, can we say that's a championship game on the 11th for the Seminoles? Can they get up for that? I don't know. The bottom line is that the Tigers, they do control their own destiny. There's too much veteran leadership on the sidelines, on the fields, I think, for self-destruction here. I would have given Clemson, in my mind, right now, first week of the rankings being released, the benefit of the doubt, albeit barely, over Ohio State, et cetera. Here's, you know, I, I don't have a problem with this either. I mean, we can compare losses, maybe Oklahoma. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine with Ohio State not being in the mix and saying that as an Ohio State fan in the first ranking. Just because Oklahoma, that Iowa State loss is looking a lot better each week In if you want to talk about most improved programs in Iowa State, what yeah. they've got going on in Ames. What really gets interesting to me, I agree with you, Notre Dame has done all they need to do, even though SC's looked at times overrated. They've had a tough schedule. NC State was tough. Mm -hmm. They've got some tough tests later. There could be a scenario, though, Bradford, I'm throwing this out there right now, where Notre Dame wins out and does not make the playoff. I'm saying it's very <laughs> possible to happen when you consider that if yeah. Georgia and Alabama are both undefeated going into the SEC title game, and that game's pretty competitive, you could see two SEC teams, no problem. Then it would take, in my opinion, a couple one-loss conference champions, a la Ohio State, Oklahoma, or even Oklahoma State if they run the Big 12. Washington, who we didn't mm -hmm. mention, has one loss. Maybe <laughs> Miami or Clemson. You see what I'm saying here? Like I don't know. I almost think that the Georgia loss, as legit as they played, as tough as that was, it hurts that they lost that head-to-head -head tiebreaker. Which, if it were to, if your scenario were to come to fruition, would be, the height of comedy, too, considering so many of the pundits and prognosticators now in 2017 who want to malign the state of the SEC. And yet, at the end of the day, what could we very well have? Two teams from mm -hmm. that legacy conference still making it, yes, into the Final Four. I could definitely see that playing. I mean, it's just it's, it's interesting now. A lot of this is going to sort itself out. We say this every year, uh, that there's all these teams that could make it and teams that could get screwed. But at the end of the day, they have to prove it on the field. And openings will happen you have to handle business you have to you know make your move even a team like wisconsin who i don't know what i don't know what they have on other teams and what they have in the ncaa bradford to get the schedule they have maybe it's you know terrible pictures or or just something but they probably have to go undefeated but if they do they're going to be right in this situation too an undefeated wisconsin team would get in so 
there's a lot of topsy-turviness. I don't have a big problem with the first playoff ranking, but it just goes to show you, and we've seen in the past, a lot of ground can be made up. Look at where Ohio State was ranked on the first playoff ranking the year they won the title. So I'm just saying, let's, oh, uh, let's see what happens. <laughs> certainly, and this is the perfect motivation as well, as if Nick Saban required any further motivation to open at number two. He's long been saying, okay, when you, here here is our schedule. We're doing what we have but again this team he's always of that prove it mindset time after time we understand the reputation it proceeds and we get what nick saban is about but to be in that number two slot right now and yes you do have to show you have to display more on the field and so far alabama yes technically has not defeated a ranked team this season but if you're telling me at the end of this month how do we quantify the success of nick saban i'm not necessarily going to say oh we're going to learn a lot more by virtue of the tide playing mississippi state Mercer, yes, Mercer, and Auburn in succession following the LSU game, about which we'll talk this coming weekend. However, if you're going into December the 2nd, if you're going into that SEC title game, you still can't convince me at that point, unless something horrendous, something completely unpredictable transpires, that that's still not the number one team in the nation. So the next month plus, buddy, as always, is going to be an awesome ride. We're really going to shape up for that. Um, It's going to be exciting. Uh, That's all I have to say. I mean, we are going to be up against it at all times and Bradford Bruns money Mitch effect I do want to just before we talk about the games this week look back at what really shaped the dominoes this week and it was Mm -hmm. in my opinion two outcomes two in particular I'll say that really changed you know how we're looking at things and that was the Ohio State Penn State thriller you know which we'll get to in a second where Ohio State outlast Penn State a big comeback in the 439-38 and then TCU who we didn't really mention who still with one loss, can control their own destiny, went out and win the Big 12 title, loses to Iowa State 14-7. to So I, th- I think those openings, with Penn State going down, they might not have enough games to get back in the race, and TCU becoming vulnerable really shapes things up. Did any of those results shock you, though? Were you shocked that Penn State maybe not just lost but blew that lead or that TCU couldn't get the job done in Ames? I wasn't shocked by any means, particularly, Mitch, considering your Buckeyes, due to the fact that JT Barrett has been so incredible. He's been playing on such an elevated plane over the last month that nothing, honestly, that he has been able to summon, the magic he's been able to generate and conjure over the last month, particularly in the second half of that game versus the Nittany Lions, I wasn't shocked because it's almost on, on a very weird, peculiar note almost become immune to the greatness this season from JT Barrett. And I don't want to make it seem as if, you know, we're taking him, of course, for granted, but he has been that stellar for the majority of the campaign that I was not shocked in that venue at that time, calling upon all of his past experiences. He was able to demonstrate that sort of effort against Penn State, against a program of that ilk. That didn't surprise me. Now, the fact that Ohio State was able to make a couple of different runs in that ballgame, especially in the climactic stages, that was a sight to behold. That was truly fantastic. And in many ways, not completely, because we we remember unfavorably, of course, that Oklahoma game and just what a route it was in favor of the Sooners. But here we are, creeping closer to the mid-November point, and Ohio State once again being out there in the driver's seat. Penn State, you mentioned the element of time there, or lack thereof. Can it catch up now being a game behind two? I was mildly surprised by the results in the TCU-Iowa State contest simply because I didn't know if Iowa State could pull it off all the way. 
You know what I mean? I figured that that would be right. a ball game in Ohio State, in Iowa State's place. I figured that it would be nip and tuck. TCU seemed overdue for a letdown, an emotional letdown of sorts. But did I anticipate the Cyclones being able to really pull it off? No, I did not. Credit to Iowa State, though. As you said, another program there on the ascent as well. And once again, you're looking for that, in my estimation still, that Big 12 team to be able to carry through an undefeated, a perfect, unblemished record into the real latter stages of the regular season. And again, holding the baton there for the Big 12. And here we go once again, and we see TCU fall. So I'm interested to see how that team rebounds. The The quality of competition isn't going to be as such relative to some of the other power conference teams that are in the mix there for the top eight, top 10, 10, top 10 teams in the rankings. But it'll be interesting to see how one TCU responds following that sort of heartbreak and also Iowa State. Okay, what do you do now? What have you done for me lately? Are you going to continue to rise or was that your your zenith of 2017? That's pretty fascinating. Right. Um, and with all due respect to uh, Janet Jackson, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think it comes down to the fact that, look, for Iowa State, I got to get this out there because what the stat that jumps out at me was they have now three wins historically over top five teams and two of them were this year. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. That's, it, it is literally the best season in Iowa State football history already. So i got to give them props. But it was a game where TCU just didn't execute in the red zone. A lot of turnovers. A lot of uh, It actually reminded me of that NFL game that we saw uh, the next day with the Steelers and uh, the Lions where the Lions just couldn't score. But be that as Indeed. it may, I'm never surprised by anything that happens in the Big 12. So um, it, it's, it's unpredictable. It's going to be a wild ride, including some big games this week. But Iowa State... Bradford, I respect J.T. Barrett and his illustrious, what, 16, 17-year college career. I think it's something like that now. <laughs> but, He's been uh, around, you know. He has been around. But after that Oklahoma game, there were people calling for his head, and I couldn't believe it. I thought, okay, one bad game, he can bounce back. Um, he didn't have a good game at all. But this game even shocked me because if there's one thing about J.T. Barrett that I've always thought was maybe a little vulnerable, it's his accuracy on passing. And maybe not just passing, I should – Break it down. Deep passes. Well, he was perfect yeah. in the fourth quarter. The one vulnerability in his game was non-existent. And I do say, honestly, Penn State kind of blew that game, kind of blew it by some of their play calling. They had the game won, uh, or I shouldn't say won, a, a comfortable lead, and they stopped being aggressive. But Ohio State stopped giving them chance after chance on special teams with how bad that unit played. So it was a classic Big Ten heavyweight fight that the Buckeyes just made a couple plays and got the job done. Penn State's problem is they're running out of good teams to play. I think that's what it comes down to. Yep, yep. I couldn't agree more about that. And when you talk about Barrett and the prowess that he's displayed in the passing game, Mitch, I will concur insofar as during the six-game winning streak, you've seen the accuracy, the overall numbers stay at that steady, steady about 75%. We know about the 22 touchdowns. We know about the no interceptions, taking care of the football, protecting that pigskin. But now, as you had alluded to as well we're seeing an uptick in terms of the accuracy not just on on the checkdowns and even the intermediate patterns but the deep ball there the touch too and when you've got an individual who is continuously improving such as kj hill too catching the career high 12 passes right for 102 yards you think about the buckeyes now second in the nation in total offense about 580 yards per tilt i'm sorry weeks ago no Take all of your reservations about one JT Barrett if you're out there nationally and throw them away because this man, more than anyone else at the quarterback position, I'd say right now in the country, 
doesn't deserve to be questioned in that regard. He doesn't. He doesn't. And that sets up for what should be another wild week, week 10 of college football, Bradford Buns, Money Mitch Effect. Let's run through these games. I'm excited to see what happens. There are some interesting games and, of course, some interesting lines. It's been a rough patch for myself, but uh, we got Maxion going in the weekdays. We got some good ranked matchups. I'm, I'm hopeful in November. I'm hopeful. You're, you're <laughs> telling me, brother. I just want, I want to take him season to start give me to the bowl games maybe Uh, yeah maybe that's maybe it's a bizarro year i actually do well in bowl games this year i don't know um (laughs) well i want to start with that ohio state team though ohio state plays iowa an iowa game it's not a night game but it's a home game and we know iowa is a tale of two teams they play very well at home ohio state is up to a eight an 18 point favorite in this game initially i think that line's too high when you talk about iowa Ohio State football it's traditionally very boring I like Ohio State to win here, although I'm thinking it's going to be that defense, that pass rush, Baby Bosa and company. I think they're going to be the difference. Yeah, that's a big number. 18 right now at present heading into the weekend. That's a big, big number. But Baby Bosa, I, how many more Bosas are coming through the system? I have to plead ignorance on <laughs> that hear, front. There's none left, allegedly. Though, Did you hear Irvin say that if there is another one coming, they have a full ride guaranteed? Well, I would hope so. <laughs> I, I missed that little tidbit. Yeah. What, what's impossible to miss, though, at the moment is the dominance being exhibited by that front seven in Columbus and led by Bosa, of course, but so many other decorated individuals who no doubt are NFL-bound sooner rather than later. Here is my quandary if I'm an Iowa fan at the moment. This offensive line, it spells disaster on November the 4th when you're talking about starting two freshmen at the tackle spots against OSU. The Buckeyes, as you well know, Mitch, already, they're in the top 10 in the country in total defense. They're 10th against the rush, too. If you have suspect positions, tackle spots, so much youth, two freshmen, you're trying to keep the ball away from the patented aerial attack of J.T. Barrett and company. You're not able to string together first downs and be able to flip the field at all. I just don't understand the ability, I can't really fathom Iowa State being able to do anything, or Iowa, excuse me, being able to go up and down the field with any sort of consistency. So for a half, I think that Ohio State picks and chooses its spots, is able to break off a couple of big plays, but now you're seeing a growing number of cast members, supporting cast members, for that matter, for Barrett, too. We understand all about J.K. Dobbins. I mean, the young man's averaging almost eight yards per carry. He can break one off at any time. Give him the outside. You can't seal it off. He's going to have his way. We already said, we talked about the virtues of K.J. Hill, though. We've got somebody such as Johnny Dixon, though, too, coming up with two fourth-quarter TD picks against Penn State a week ago, and the growing list, it just continues to heighten with each passing week. I love these weapons. I love the fact that they're going to be able to continue to be on that emotional high, in my opinion, going into this contest, and at the end of the day, I will take Ohio State, and I will actually, yes, embrace that big number. I've talked right. myself into it, Mitch. I'm on Let's that train. Go. Let's go. All right. Well, we'll see what happens there. Iowa State, West Virginia. I want to mention this game quickly because West Virginia, two-and-a-half-point favorites at home. Iowa State. Mm-hmm. I, this is a stay-away of all stay-aways, Brad. West Virginia is one of my worst losses of the year, that minus eight against Baylor. 23-point lead in the fourth uh, quarter. Yeah. You can't trust this team. They get killed by you Oklahoma can't. State last week. I, I'm leading West Virginia just because I think this time for the luck to run out. No, I shouldn't say luck. Time for the good fortunes to run out for Iowa State, having to go on the road after a big win. I like 
West Virginia here, but absolutely no confidence. No, no confidence. And no confidence in, in the ground game in Morgantown either. And that's what's been somewhat surprising to me this season, Mitch, when you talk about West Virginia actually returned the conference's leading rusher in Justin Crawford. And yet this is a team that isn't even within the top 60, top 65, as far as moving the football on the ground. So I think that at the end of the day, honestly, that is going to really uh, be bad for West Virginia in a number of ways against Iowa State. And then the question is, can you keep that electricity? Can you keep that excitement going? And this turnaround job that's being engineered by Matt Campbell, I'll give it to the Cyclones again this coming weekend, buddy. Dana Holgerson, please, for the love of Big Earn, get your team to play four quarters. That's all I ask for. That's all I ask for. Uh, all right, Miami, Virginia Tech, night game. Undefeated Miami, Florida, who's won their last five games by no more than eight points in each contest, takes on a very game Virginia Tech in a ranked matchup this week. Bradford, Virginia Tech, minus two and a half on the road. I think it's time to turn out the lights on Miami's undefeated season. I like money line Virginia Tech in this one. It is tough to side with Mark Richt in this game, isn't it, Mitch? And, it hey, is. we've maligned Wisconsin's schedule to a degree, but how about Miami? Mm. How many teams of substance have the Hurricanes defeated? And they're sitting right now at 7-0, we understand, but you take all of that with a grain of salt and Virginia Tech at number 13 overall in the polls at 7-1 and one with just the one defeat. I have to say, even though Rogier's put up some great numbers at the quarterback spot this season, for the Hurricanes, I love what Jackson is doing as the opposing signal caller for Virginia Tech. And I have to say, as far as diversifying the offense there, too, and having dual threats on the ground, I know this is a dandy in the ACC. And I fully expect Miami to be in this one for the duration of the game. But Josh Jackson, to me, he is the preeminent playmaker in this game. He's able to make enough plays for me down the stretch to be able to knock off Miami, which just last week, being on the brink, I mean, North Carolina, honestly, what was that final 24 to 19? That's it. Too many close calls, too many, too many close calls against teams, not of consequence in the past month. This is the weekend. This is the weekend. Miami falls. Yeah. If they win this game by a close amount, that's another lucky fluky play like the Georgia tech game, a rainy, messy game. I can't wait to see what that line's going to be at Notre Dame. Notre Dame might be a, but might be a double digit favorite against an undefeated team. Very, True. very possible. Um, but, man, we should be excited for that one. Bradford runs Money Mitch Effect. This is going out of the realm of what we normally talk about, big games, big matchups. But I want you to tell me why everyone should tune in at noon Eastern, 11 Central, 9 Pacific, to watch the Mizzou Tigers take on the Florida Gators. Well, Mitch, <laughs> after last weekend's robust performance against the UConn Huskies, second consecutive win for Barry Odom's program, all right, who am I kidding? We understand that both of these teams right now in the SEC East, the wasteland that is the SEC East, are in utter disarray. And the perplexing aspect of it to me, Mitch, is that even though, yes, Missouri has run it up on the scoreboard against UConn, against of course, some of these are Idaho, I should say. That's, that's how much Idaho stood out to me as a homecoming opponent a couple of weekends ago. Now the, the talk, the murmurs, if you will, the conversation seems to have shifted somewhat as far as, okay, looking at assessing the body of the work over the last month, which is ridiculous in and of itself considering the also-rans that Missouri has on the schedule at this point. Does Barry Odom get another crack? Does Barry Odom get a third season in Columbia? I think this is this is folly, 
to be honest with you, because in each and every opportunity this year to be able to put up a representative performance or you would hope a representative effort against any team worth its salt in the SEC, Missouri has completely and utterly failed. Now, for the first time during his tenure at Missouri, this says a lot to me. Last week, Odom was able to register back-to-back victories. Again, I will reiterate, against Idaho and then last week versus UConn. Now, Drew Locke, this is – I'm not – I'm not here to just absolutely nitpick and and throw Drew Locke, the the junior quarterback, under the bus because I do think that he's operating as well as he can without Crockett in the backfield, the the star running back who's out for the rest of the season, without a surplus of receiving options. We talked about Jamon Moore, actually, when we were back in St. Louis before the start of the season. I'll readily admit that he has not had the type of year, the type of standout year at that position I would have expected from him. Josh Heupel in year number two, still mixed reviews there on offense, but The fact of the matter is that Missouri right now doesn't have any sort of forward momentum, no matter what the box scores against hollow teams would suggest over the last couple of weeks. And I'm frankly surprised that right now the tenor is is one that seems to be, I wouldn't necessarily categorize it as positive, but it's complacent. It's a matter-of-fact kind of here, steady-as-it-goes demeanor regarding the team at Faroe Field right now. And I simply cannot... If I'm a Mizzou booster, if I'm a Mizzou supporter, if I'm a hardcore devotee of the program, I'm not having it because I'm looking at the stands. I'm looking at the spectators. I'm looking that you're coming out for a homecoming game. You're coming out for a conference game, and you're barely able to really justify. And just look at the pictures. The numbers aren't lying. You know, 15,000 in the stands. And yeah. if that is okay, if that is, if that is right now considered fine, at least uh, to tread water, in a sense, at this moment in 2017, then the new athletic director or newish athletic director, Jim Sterk, late of San Diego State, I think that's something for which he has to answer and about which he'll answer a lot of questions following this season. Because no matter what happens against Florida, no matter what happens down the stretch, if you somehow have an opportunity to string together three or four consecutive victories, and to me that's not saving face yet. It's not saving face because you're assessing the caliber of competition what is not there on paper or out there on the field, and even the much ballyhooed press conference at which uh, Barry Odom absolutely railed against the establishment and <laughs> went on and put on a nice little show for reporters a week ago following yet another drubbing. I'm sorry, but that improvised spectacle there as well. If you look closely, if you actually read, not read between the lines, but if you observe the behavior there too, this is someone he, he had bullet points then as well. He had bullet yeah. points then. He has an outline. He's a prepared individual. He could be an exceptional defensive coordinator. But as far as getting his team to rally behind him, getting this program reinvigorated in a sense, I'm just not seeing it. Not when you're still getting gouged by the Missouri State Bears, by Idaho, by teams such as UConn, for well in excess of 25, 30, 35-plus points. Something has to change. Something has to drastically change. I'm not saying that it will against Florida this coming weekend. The Gators are in a world of trouble, a world of hurt, too. But this isn't good enough now in the SEC East, particularly on the heels of so many gargantuan seasons from Gary Pinkle. This is not what you need to continue the upward, what was an upward trajectory of the football program. You know, my best uh, betting moment of the year happened when uh, I got Mizzou as a favorite in a game. I I took the other side, and uh, it seems to have happened again, lo and behold. Uh, no, I, I I agree with you. I mean, it's both these teams are in a world of hurt, and we talked about this before we went on how Florida 
Florida is the standard bearer for cutting bait with a coach. Of all these schools in the SEC East, Florida won the SEC East twice under McElwain, yet they still realize it's not good enough and they fired him. But Mizzou with Odom, Tennessee especially with Butch Jones, is struggling to make that decision. I mean, it's just comical that it's gotten to this point. If McElwain wouldn't have been fired, in all honesty, Bradford, I would have picked Mizzou in this game. But now that he's gone, Randy Shannon, who has had coaching experience, he's going to try to change some things. He's going to be that spark. And a lot of Florida players, yeah. now that they've seen their coaches gone, are playing for their, I don't want to say jobs, but you know you know how the NCAA operates, but no, but for their scholarships, for their spots on the team. I think Florida's going to win another game. It lights a fire. Yeah, I, I just think. If only temporarily. Yeah, it does. I, neither of these teams are good. They're not going anywhere. But Mizzou has to get an identity, and they just do not have one. Defensively, they're just dreadful. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate. I'm uh, I'm hoping things turn around for you and all the Mizzou faithful, but I think it's going to be a long year, uh, and hopefully uh, a new regime comes in there. And well, yeah, what is, that, what is that identity? It was supposed to have been defense, defense, defense under Barry Odom, previously of Memphis, a, a Mizzou-made native son of Missouri. You open up this season, you give up 43 points to Missouri State. You lose 35-3 to to Purdue. You give up 40 points to Kentucky in the SEC East as well. Georgia was going to mash you, but you are eking by when it comes to even being able to get through a quarter against these conference opponents that are absolutely nothing. I don't care what happens against Tennessee the next week. I don't care what happens at Vanderbilt or at Arkansas. All of that is immaterial to me. Will the same sentiment be shared? by those in positions of power at Mizzou, I can honestly say I'm not sure about that. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it's darkest before the dawn, I think is how the phrase goes. So we'll <laughs> we'll be hoping for you guys to turn it around. Uh, Money Mitch. Thanks, Frank, Harvey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hope it turns out better for me than that reference. But all right, Money Mitch effect, Fred for bronze. Uh, a couple of just brief flybys before the game of the week. Uh, Penn State, I expect to bounce back with a big win over Michigan State. Uh, Alabama, I think, is going to destroy LSU as they just you know, put another dent in Coach O's uh, coaching legacy there. And the Pac-12 after, after dark game of USC-Arizona State, or Arizona, I should say. That's going to be a dandy. Arizona, Bradford, probably the best team no one knows about on the East Coast. I'll agree with you there, but which USC team shows up? Exactly. Yes, it's at home after dark. Hey, how many times have we said that about USC in just the last few years, though, uh, can can USC stop Kate for Arizona? That's that's my big question here. Easier said than done, but I don't know. Clay Helton is coaching for his job in every game this season. Uh, I think he will get let go if he loses another game. It's my opinion. I don't think he was the biggest big splash hire they wanted. Uh, he just righted the ship of a program in disarray with the whole Sarkeesian thing. So big drama in the Coliseum. Big drama this weekend. Is it, <laughs> is it fair to say that the unexpected rise in picks from one golden boy, Sam Darnold, could ultimately be the undoing for Clay Helton? Yeah, it's fair to season. say. I'm a little, I'm a little mad now at, at Sam Darnold. I'm a little disappointed, hurt. You would say, given the report that if oh. the Browns take go number one, he's going to stay in school. I don't know if it's real, but it just hurts. I've defended you, Sam, nonstop for the past two months, and I'm just a little hurt now. 
Um, so I'll be objective for one second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we'll see what happens. There. I know Josh Gordon's going to come back, and you think everything will be fine. <laughs> oh, all will be fine and dandy. Thank God we didn't make that AJ McCarron. Tra- I've, I've said enough this week on that. We got to move on. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, the battle for, at Bedlam, the game of the week, and weird, Bradford, that this game is taking place in early November instead of late November. That due to the Big 12 title game being added this year, which is going to be around Robin. They didn't want it to potentially be a rematch back-to-back. But this game is taking place now. Oklahoma 5 in the college football ranking. Oklahoma State was as far down as 10. But Oklahoma State three-point favorites at home. The over-under is 76 juicy points there. What do you think about this game? How will it turn out? What are the keys? Who gets the job done? Is it history? Is it Oklahoma the Sooners again? Or does Oklahoma State have the better team this year? Well, when you're talking about the numbers and history in this series, Mitch, I was actually, as a matter of fact, looking at some of those very figures earlier, and it is astounding to actually think of the overall dominance enjoyed by Oklahoma in this series overall as far as being able to just have its way with Oklahoma State all-time, 85-19-7. But, oh, it's been been a little different over the course of the last few years as far as from a competitive standpoint. In meeting number 112 overall, at Boone Pickens Stadium, this one is going to be electric yet again. I think that it very well could boil down to, probably will boil down to, which of the two standout quarterbacks, Mitch, will actually get the last possession in this game. You've got Rudolph, of course, Mason Rudolph for the Pokies. He leads all of FPS. He's got almost 3,000 passing yards right now. And Baker, may I plant my flag at your midfield. Hey, he's not that far behind. He's got 23 touchdowns. He's right there in terms of passing efficiency, too. We know that he can get outside of the pocket. He can make plays with his feet. He can extend plays with mobility. And in terms of spreading the playmakers across the field, Oklahoma State, in my mind, still doesn't get enough credit for being able to rival Oklahoma in that capacity. And right here, with Mr. Riley making his bedlam debut in this setting, I think it sets up for an extremely intriguing matchup. And I want to see how the turnovers may or may not come into effect for Mayfield and the Sooners. It's just, it's more of a gut feeling, to be honest with you, than anything else. But I have the suspicion, I have the sneaking suspicion here that Mike Gundy is going to rectify some of the wrongs that occurred down the stretch against Bob Stoops. It's, it's hard to believe he had a 200 career winning percentage against Bob Stoops when Ridiculous. Stoops was in Norman. I just, I just think right now everything is setting up. Rudolph has never played better at quarterback. I don't necessarily think that he's ever had a better arsenal with which to deal with which to operate either. I will say that just by a field goal, maybe in Stillwater, this game being in Stillwater, 112th edition of Bedlam, get ready for it. I'll go Oklahoma State. Narrowly. As narrow as it gets. As narrow as it gets, huh? Well, yes. I want to give props to Baker Mayfield for being probably the best combo passer and a real chance to win the Heisman this year. This is a Heisman game too, by the way, if, if Mason yeah. Rudolph wins, he's going to enter the conversation. If, if Baker Mayfield puts on a show, he's going to be in New York City, probably winning the trophy or coming <laughs> close to it. Oklahoma State has the 38th-ranked defense in the country. Oklahoma is 57th. They've been passed on. They've been scored on. I agree. We're in mostly agreement on this show. Give me Oklahoma State. Give me Gundy finally getting the better of Oklahoma and a young man in Coach Riley that doesn't really know what this rivalry is about. Bradford, if it doesn't happen this year, when will Oklahoma State beat them? This is their team, senior leadership, dominance at the skill positions. It has to happen this year. I'm a man. 
I'm 75, and I still haven't beaten Oklahoma. Yeah, he's going to take his shirt off one way or another after this game. We can count on, on Gundy and Gundy's mullet to do just that. And I'm not just saying, I'm not just making this pick because Ohio State head-to-head Oklahoma doesn't look so good, and I need another L in the loss column. <laughs> Give me 80-plus points, I kid you not, in this game, too, with, with ease. You know, I'm saying I, easily. That's great, by plus. the way. That's a great call. I don't think I would even take Oklahoma minus three. I mean, I think it's going to be a field goal, no. or even a one- or two-point game. So. Um, yep. I, you know what? Yep. I, best case scenario, here's what I see. Give me that triple overtime, you know, 49-47 missed two-point conversion, something like that. Mm-hmm. Also, also, give me Baker Mayfield at the Heisman ceremony just because. It's great television. Yeah, it is. <laughs> no, matter how this game, yeah, no matter how this game actually plays out, although I do think that he'll have a phenomenal outing. G- give me that regardless, please. I want the entertainment value. We want it. We need it. Well, Bradford Bruns, this was fun. It's been too long since we did this. Thanks again for coming on the show. I know it won't be the last, and I'm hoping we get another playoff reaction from you as well. But uh, thanks again for coming on the show, and uh, it was fun. College football never ceases to amaze. Mitch, it is always a pleasure. And gear up next installment. I want some of that Indian hot stove talk, too. I know you're ready for it. Why do you have to bring those up? I'm not there yet. I mean, <laughs> I've just put it in the back of my mind, but maybe, maybe next time I'll be there. But thanks again, though, seriously, for coming on the show. Catch you down the road, my friend. You got it. Thanks again to Bradford Bruns. Appreciate him coming on the show. And uh, hopefully our picks do a little better this week. Some big games. Hope everybody enjoys them. But some big college football games. And the city of L.A. is all right. Yeah, it, it was somber, but we'll bounce back out here. All right, next up, it's Ed Rapino on the Money Mitch Effect. He works for ESPN Deportes. We're going to talk about how he got into sports production in high school in Miami. Kind of worked his way up, went to Florida State, got some opportunities there. Uh, working for the Dolphins for a few years, NFL Network, and then ESPN Deportes. We talk about some NFL storylines. Zeke Elliott suspended. We think now it's official. And the gut-wrenching news about Deshaun Watson being out for the year, tearing an ACL in a non-contact drill in practice. And some NFL picks as well. It's Edward Pino on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, Money Mitch Effect. Now we're going to talk NFL football and some other things. First time around the show, Money Mitch Effect podcast debut. Edward Pino, who works at ESPN Deportes. We're friends. We've, we've known each other for a bit now. Pino, thanks for joining the show. No problem. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's always fun to get new people on here, especially in L.A. when you know there's not a shortage of people that work in sports. Mm-hmm. Um, we're both, I guess, transplants coming out here for work. And people, you know, when you come out here in your 20s, Making friends working in sports, the easiest way is to just talk to other young people that's, in sports. Yep, yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. I agree. So what exactly got you out here? We can kind of work backwards from there, but I've been here for three years now. I think your time frame is about the same. Yeah, yeah, what same. brought you to LA? I mean, it was definitely the uh, NFL gig. Um, one reason was my fiance. She just graduated with her master's and we were like, hey, let's start a new adventure. Let's go West Coast because mm-hmm. we've always been in East Coast. I'm uh, raised in Fort Lauderdale. And we met in FSU at Florida State in Tallahassee, go Knowles. Um, and yeah, I mean, West Coast, we just wanted to come out and see what's the, all the hullabaloo about out West Coast. And, and yeah, NFL was able to give me opportunity and blessed to have started my job there. Yeah, so you're Florida born and raised, like everything. Correct. Before you came out here, it was 
high school, elementary school, high school, college, work, and yeah. then LA first, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it was just uh, actually born in Jersey, but it was oh, like okay. very young. I went, I went down to Florida and everything, so it was like barely any Jersey in me. Um, but yeah, no, LA is is California. All this stuff, it's a whole new world, and and yeah. Do you think? I mean, I, it's fascinating too because you've lived on the coast, but polar opposites now. Do you find a lot of similarities or differences? Like, because uh, I've never lived, I've been to Florida a few times, but do you notice any similarities or differences out here? I mean, it's it's a mix of both for sure. Like, there's a laid back, uh, chill life kind of thing. You see the city life. Uh, I mean, over there, the the big, huge, huge difference is definitely the weather. When over here, there's no humidity. Over there, you know, you step off the plane or you know you reach uh, Florida, yeah. and it's just you know you have rain clouds on one side of the street and you walk across the street and there's no rain at all it's very bipolar weather so coming over here it's very refreshing the weather just seeing sunny all the time you know 99 percent of the time and kind of just an interesting question on my end the the different cities in florida they all have their own identity i should say you got miami jacksonville tampa orlando that's for sure just from the outsider it seems like it seems like the vibe's a little different but having been there you'd say that's true oh that's without a doubt i mean yeah everyone definitely has their different identities and yeah, I mean, you, you see presidential election kind of tells the story of Florida, how the educated kind of main cities, major cities are that democratic, liberal mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But then you mix it in between, like you look at all the rural areas in between. That's what, you know, majority won uh, the Republican side. And it's different, uh, you know, kind of ways of experiences, different types of identities within the cities. But it's it's a good mix it's very diverse especially yeah where I'm i would from. say that's true you know i went to fort myers when i was in college um we we had a hockey trip against florida gulf coast we got to see it. it was pretty cool but i didn't realize how you could go over a couple of minutes and you got the older folk retirement communities right there so it's true i mean even la even as big as this city is i don't really notice the drop off like different communities just all spread apart mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and, and i mean it's nice uh what, what i like to tend to do is uh go from the east side of uh, Florida, like doing Fort Lauderdale Beach and then just driving probably two hours to the other side to Tampa, Naples and all that stuff to just see the sunrise, the sunset. And it's, it's, you're able to do it right there with the Panhandle, right. the nice peninsula we have there. So, so kind of, you know, just not to be, in, to be in full transparent mode, I do research on all these guests and you were into sports, like into sports production as far back as high school mm-hmm. what got you into wanting to be into this field even before it was professional when it was a dream what you know got you going about working in sports uh great question um and i'm, I'm glad you do the research and everything as well um, yeah, we've got to be a little professional <laughs> i mean sure. we're in t-shirts and shorts <laughs> right now but you know <laughs> um, i would say back in high school it, was, it started in ninth grade when uh starting off in tv production as an elective um, I just got in and without any knowledge of picking up a camera or Final Cut Pro was the first program we we're working with. I remember my TV production teacher having a class size of like 30, 40. And all he said was, since he was so busy, he's like, here, use the help menu. Like, just use the help tool on Final Cut if you need to have any questions and stuff. He walked away when he came back. I had a project ready for him. And after that, like, he took me under his wing. I became wow. TV production president, all that stuff. So. That really like led me all the way to this point because so, I studied entrepreneurship and yeah. at FSU it wasn't oh. really TV pro so that's fascinating. So you had like a you I guess fortunate had a good mentor early that kind of showed you the ropes but also let you experiment with hands on stuff. Definitely, definitely, and shout out to Mr. Moore in case he ends up uh, listening to the podcast as Never well. Know. <laughs> exactly, know. I'll share it to him. But um, yeah, no, definitely a good mentor there at that point and and just kept going after that. 
So from there, you're in high school and you know you finish, you do a lot of experience, but you're still thinking business. And then, and it's just a fascinating to me because I was the exact same way. I mean, mm-hmm. I was business first as well with just sports in the back of my mind. Correct. But Florida State, I mean, you're <laughs> Miami born and, born and bred. I'm, why was it the U? That's why. That's a logical question. <laughs> <laughs> no, great question on that one. I mean, um, my I was first generation, so I didn't really have like the friends or the family around me that said like, "Hey, the U and yeah. all that stuff." Like, they, I wasn't I'm really sure those people into, existed. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, they they were definitely around, but not around me specifically. Um, it, Florida State just had that amazing vibe of like that natural tradition, history, and all that stuff. Like, it, just I would see the pamphlets of the brick. Uh, the brick buildings, like the fountains, you can see the, the seasonal changes. And I just kind of wanted to get away from the family and like have my own independency, not too far away, but also take advantage of Bright Futures, which is like a, it, they pretty much paid off all my college uh, tuition. So 100%, nice. so that was helpful. Nice. Now it's, it's not an area of the country that I got to tour and see the schools. So I'm assuming, and it's like this for everybody, that you just know which one stands out when you're on those college tours. And you probably saw a few schools, but Florida State just stood out early, and you're like, this just feels right. Yeah, I mean, surprisingly, I actually didn't do much of a tour. It was just really? like looking at the pamphlet. Yeah, it was wow. sitting at home, and I got like letters from... Did you see the campus before you got there? No, no. no. My wow. first time, wow. like I stepped on foot as soon as it was... Uh, it was preview day. It was like the year before I graduated yeah. high school, so I got my student ID and everything early on and everything. But... um. No, it was it was all I went into it blind, just like I came wow. into LA Cali blind, yeah. and and just it all worked out. Did you know anybody going, or like I don't know how big your high school was, but was there a contingency going to? Yeah, back then I actually got accepted with my ex girlfriend, and oh, <laughs> sorry to bring that up. <laughs> no, <I'm good. laughs> so, no, it's yeah. uh, it just it's fascinating too, because some people like I was one of the people that went to school and didn't really know anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, was lucky enough to see the school beforehand, but it is a big step. I mean. <laughs> It's easy to say now, but at the time, and you're 18 years old, and you're just like, I'm going to make this decision, and Mm -hmm. you can always transfer, but that's messy. You you don't want to get that one wrong. So, um, glad it worked out for you to still chat with that Rapino Money Mitch effect. Um, When you're Florida State, though, Mm -hmm. you mentioned studying in entrepreneurship, so you're business school all the way through. Was it experience with sports that kind of drove you to that path, or were you taking classes for it, a combination of both? What reignited that sports flame? Yeah, great question. I mean, it was uh, in between my junior to senior year, I uh, started picking up some electives with TV production again, like seminal productions out there. And so with them, we were filming the in the fall the football team and all that. So that was when we had uh, Christian Ponder my freshman year, and then after mm. that, it was EJ Manuel. Yeah. And so yeah, it was a good team. You know, we always had like good seasons, so it was it was great covering that. And then I also got more in the springtime with the FSU basketball and Leonard Hamilton, the coach yeah. out there, well known and legend and everything. So um, I kept up with the sports production with all that behalf, working with ESPN three at times whenever there were bigger games out there, but. Um, yeah, it was business, and my plan, my grand plan, was pretty much graduating and either are starting up a banquet hall business to like do filming for quinceañeras, like sweet sixteens and wedding yeah. receptions. And yeah, I mean, look at me now out here in Cali, <laughs> different. Now you know, I I have to ask this question though. At Florida State, what's the video production program like? Is it? I mean, we all know what like Syracuse or Northwestern or even Missouri, like this USC is another one where. They're just so big and well-known, and it's a lot of technical classes, but also a lot of students there that are trying to do the same thing. Mm -hmm. Is Florida State like that, or is it more open 
or was there value more in getting the reps? So on that one, um, FSU is actually way more known for their film school. The film school out there, I mean, the Moonlight, like uh, Moonlight who won the yeah, recent yeah. Emmy and all that, sort of Oscar. Uh, yeah, the director went to the FSU film school, and that one is really hard to get into and all that. I didn't apply myself because there's a huge difference between <laughs> film studies and, yeah. uh, and uh, what do we call this, uh, TV production. Yeah. But yeah, no, in the, in the production business or in the production studies out there, it's 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 competitive it's not super well known correct but um just doing the sports production it, it is a well done program and and you get a great experience out of it because it's a great sports teams that you get out of fsu I, I imagine i mean it's it's one thing to be in a school doing something you love but it's also nice when that's something you love involves some pretty good teams mm-hmm. and getting to work with espn3 yeah <laughs> uh, and all that and so when exactly was it right after college maybe while you were a senior when did you start working for the dolphins so i had i was blessed with the opportunity to um start an internship with them my i think it was this junior going on senior semester uh, in the summertime i just googled miami dolphins internship and oh. boom the, for number one result i just applied dropped my resume and the guy called me within an hour or two said hey i saw final cup pro on your resume you want to wow. come in for an interview that's timing too yeah, had yeah, the right skill exactly. at the right time oh that's wow. exactly so i uh, was able to help out and actually great summer there that i was able to jump in um it was hard knock summer so the hard knocks oh, were coming yeah. the dolphins it was like uh, Tannehill's rookie year, uh, right? Not Tannehill's yeah. rookie year. David Garrard was out there. Matt Moore. There was a quarterback competition. Uh, Chad Johnson. It was. It's a. It's a yeah. lot of storylines. <laughs> that's lines. right. That's right. Lots of that. storylines. Wow. Um, and yeah, Hard Knocks and HBO. They took me out to a couple shoots, so I was able to get experience with them and uh, learn about NFL films and all that. So uh, it just kept piquing my interest. And um, and after I had to return for my senior season or my senior year at FSU. Uh, pretty much the Dolphins uh, gave me a heads up. Hey, you know, we can uh, get you a job as soon as you graduate. Wow. So we'll hold this spot for you. That's and, nice. So you had a pretty, I wouldn't say relaxing, but <laughs> st- lower stress level senior year than oh, a yeah. lot of college seniors oh, yeah. across the country. I would say that so. are trying to figure out their job situation. Huge blessing. What prompted you, knowing that and, and going forward, to still finish the entrepreneurship job uh, major because a lot of people in your position would just say I have a job you know I don't really need to finish this or I'll just put this on the back burner what prompted you to just keep that going yeah I mean it was just to get the degree be the first in the family to finally nice. you know have yeah. that college degree and all that and continue with education it's like one more year so why not right. and they were understanding I mean they wouldn't have you know risked and said like oh no we want you now or never kind of thing yeah. so they were all cool about it and so I mean yeah just finish up the studies and why not? I got the job right after I crossed the podium and get my degree. And that transition from intern to professional, was that something that took some getting used to? I'm sure when you got there, you know, when you came back to work full time, it wasn't quite the same as being an intern. No, it was great. I mean, the team that I was working with, they all treated me like family. And that's what attracted me even more to like to to just continue with the job. I mean, it's my favorite team growing up. Uh, I became a Dolphins yeah. fan in 2002. Um, you didn't have to fake rooting for this team oh. <laughs> that you were working for. That's, that's exactly. always nice. Yeah, exactly. No, uh, I remember the field trip that I went to to fall in love as a fan and stuff in sixth grade. It was like, a, hey, the good students go get a free Dolphins tickets. And just being in that atmosphere of like all these rowdy, drunk guys around you, just like being crazy and wild, uh, mm-hmm. just became a Dolphins fan since then. So, uh, yeah, the team, to be able to work with them, it's a, a huge dream come true. So. I bet. I mean, it's one thing to start working in sports, but also work for the team that you grew up rooting for. I mean, it's 
it's something special. Still chatting with Edward Pino, Money Mitch Effect. It's funny too because as we talk about you coming out to LA, I don't know if they still do this, just an aside, but when I did my interview for uh, NFL, mm-hmm. they gave us a trivia question, like a test question, and I was on the Dolphins. So oh. I was just, I had to just think about everything that I knew. And I, it was, it's funny because the way these things work is they ask you, what do you think the storylines would be about such and such? Mm-hmm. And I got the Dolphins, and my reaction was just, Start saying everything you know, and it'll just yeah. come together. Yeah. So I just dropped about 50 names and mm-hmm. win-loss records and stuff. But you were there for a few years, though. I mean, you were, you had a couple of years there, and then you come to L.A. Was it a growth potential opportunity, or was did you feel like the timing was right for a move? It was great. It was for both, both reasons. Uh, definitely hit the nail there. Um, yeah, it was just to move on up and see what else, what other opportunities are out here. Out here, there's plenty of opportunities, but mm-hmm. it's just that the competition is very hard. I mean, compared to Florida, I feel like a big fish in a small pond in a way. And then out here, it's just small fish in a big, big lake. So It is. And, I, and I've had a few, quite a few people on this show that have worked in NFL. I was lucky enough to do that the same. The way I describe it is it's a great opportunity to just try a bunch of different things, mm-hmm. to work with the premier you know, network yes. of a sport yeah. and to try a bunch of different things. Knowing that, knowing that you could edit, you could shoot, you know, what, what you want to, what people want to do there, it could build graphics. Yep. What did you kind of focus on? What caught your eye? What area was your expertise in NFL Network? I mean, when I saw the uh, Predator position, I saw producer editor, I was like, oh, why not? That's pretty much what I do with, mm-hmm. with the Dolphins. And I mean, it, was, it didn't take too long before they moved me under the NFL Now department. Yeah. Um, I probably spent my first couple of days uh, clipping the highlights in and out, uh, you know, quickly exporting things for NFL.com to use. And then when they saw that I can do a little more, my skill set was doing graphics, animation, uh, just a little more extra than, the, than just basic editing. Then they said, hey, you have a creative mind or you have a, that skill set of Photoshop and After Effects. Why don't you come on over? And so I was able to right. do crazy, funny, creative things, and I had fun with that for a couple of years. It's funny, too, because I feel like everybody has the same reaction that, that has enjoyed their time there. It's all those crazy, funny projects that you get to work on. Mm-hmm. And that was my, you know, there's there's highs and lows with every job, but my favorite thing that I'll always respect and praise NFL Network for is they just let you try stuff. Yep. I mean, some of it's going to fail, but that's just how it is, and you could really strike gold. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. you know, were able to do that. Agreed. But you look back at your time there, it's pretty enjoyable. It was a great learning experience. Yeah, yeah. I would Stru- say stress was a little higher. I know that. <laughs> Here and there, yeah, for sure. Um, when they give us a time off and everything with their whole seasonal employment, it's a nice way to kind of refresh and recharge. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you spend so much hours in front of a computer and you drain out of ideas. But you kind of take that time off to, to either learn new skills and uh, develop your tools or just refresh that mind and get new creative ideas for the next season. And you were there two full years, is that right? Two full seasons, yeah. Two full seasons. And then it took you to where you are now, ESPN Deportes. How did that opportunity come out? I know a lot of people get to that point where they want to move on from NFL Network. It's a good launching pad, Mm -hmm. but Deportes, downtown LA, LA Live, I mean, you're right there. What brought you to that, you know, that world? Yeah, I definitely sent out a couple applications in various places. I had heard back from BuzzFeed, from uh, EA, from a couple of places. I mean, Deportes, like, when I went in for the interview, it, uh, it ended up being great, uh, their interview process and seeing kind of like their work atmosphere. Uh, it was fun. It was different because in my career and, and where I've worked and everything, um, I never had like the Hispanic side, like where I have like Spanish people speaking Spanish here and there. They're very loud and very obnoxious <laughs> to the outsiders. But it, it was a fun, pay, fun, fast paced, like daily news environment. At the same time, I had to I have to learn at this point a lot more. Um, 
a Liga MX, so Mexican League Soccer, okay. uh, because that's what predominantly our Hispanic audience is watching on right. ESPN Deportes. But here and there, what they wanted to get out of me was my football, my ass, my basketball, like knowledge that I have more on, like for the millennials that this you know new generation to kind of like gauge uh, with with my new skills and and the creativity I have and be able to gauge a new audience side instead of just sticking to like the Spanish side. So right, no, that that sounds interesting. And for somebody like you know myself that doesn't speak Spanish, mm-hmm. that doesn't watch ESPN Deportes. Mm-hmm. Try to, if you could, explain to me what's like the overarching plan for that network. You, you know, it sounds like they have their breadwinner, which is you know Mexican football, soccer, right. but they're trying to expand into other markets, get their fan base to learn more about football, American football, more about basketball, baseball, other sports. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, three shows that I'm predominantly working on. Um, one is Alos Golpes, which is a boxing show, and you know, whenever well, there's yeah, great I boxing, mean, yeah. yeah, boxing matches between Mexican and Dominicans or. Uh, Puerto Ricans and everything. Mm-hmm. There's always the Canelo, the Golovkins, the, everybody. So it's always a great mix there. The other one I also work on is Nacion ESPN, uh, which is pretty much like Sports Nation, uh, but like for a Spanish audience. Okay. And then on ESPN2, actually, we have a newer, like a more updated, fresher take. Um, and it's bilingual where we have bilingual uh, talent. And on ESPN2, we do a programming called as well Nacion ESPN, but we call it E2. Um, and at that point, that's where we're being able to reach that, that bilingual market of like, oh, here's the basketball news, here's baseball mm-hmm. news. So mix it in and not just focus on Mexican soccer. It is expanding and being able to reach out to a greater audience. Nice. And then um, like the biggest matchups like NBA Finals, Super Bowl, there's probably a big presence yeah, there as yeah, well. For as sure. Always. For sure. Do you see yourself staying there for a while? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, when they brought me in, they told me their game plan and, and what they, their outlook is for, for my uh, position. And, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it very much. And as f- as much as I can contribute to the team, I'll keep on doing whatever I can and keep trying to elevate it to new heights. Nice. Well, it's, uh, it certainly looks like it's worked out mm-hmm. worked out well. Ed Pino, Money Mitch Effect. We're going to spend the last couple minutes, but it's cool, talking about NFL. I know that's your wheelhouse. You've, yeah. been, you've been a fan for a while. Yep. And you mentioned when we were talking about this, and we recapped trades on this show earlier in the week, but two guys you know pretty well got traded in the same week. I mean, we never see trades. And here you go, Kelvin Benjamin mm-hmm. of Florida State Seminole, mm-hmm. who I know you're familiar with, mm-hmm. and Jay Ajayi, the running back and yeah. your favorite team, is now an Eagle. Yeah. Are these stunning to you? Were you sad? I mean, I guess Ajayi you'd have to be sad to see go, but Kelvin Benjamin, I mean – is he in a better situation as an unbiased NFL fan, just rooting for him? Yeah, I mean, great questions there. I mean, when when trade deadline was coming near to a to a near end, uh, yeah, you see all these big moves being made, and us being in the ESPN like newsroom, we just hear and we're all, we're hearing everyone shouted like, "Oh, this and that happened, mm-hmm. this and that." Um, when it comes to Ajayi, I have a lot of different opinions about Gaze. Adam Gase, I feel like, is a very smart coach, uh, but he just seems like a very stubborn one. Like when it comes to the media, the public opinion, all that stuff. Right. When for the quarterback decision, he's you know wanted to keep Cutler in, even though everyone wanted uh, more to come in. So this past week, uh, after we got blown out by the Ravens, forty to zero. What's with, does that just bad you do there? Like it's a at that stadium every year. It's the last two years yeah. they've destroyed you guys. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it's just the game plan. It's it's it's. Uh, let's see, the Dolphins' offense is just not. It's too simple. It's too basic. It's too easy to kind of tell. And then the defense, they try, but I mean, you can't do anything when when your defense has to like stop an offense right. who gets you know a great field position. Um, but no, I mean, they have to go back to fundamentals. And uh, on top of that, it's just uh, the players, they either feel like their, their star quality, the star players at, on the team that were um, 
Ajayi, Landry, and all them, they either think that they're above the game plan or above the coach, um, and that's why they're either they're just, as Gase put it, uh, just being in a horrible offense and not proud of it. He's trying to make an example out of the Ajayi situation. Right. I, I think he's a good offensive mind. It's just because he has the ability to lead an entire team. Yeah. I think I don't. I don't know what their identity is. That yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like Ajayi is a good running back, mm-hmm. and I understand trading him if you think you're going to go in a different direction but what mm-hmm. direction is that like what yeah. and it, for a fourth round pick which i get running backs aren't going to get traded for a lot but you think a second could mm-hmm. be in play mm-hmm. uh, as well uh, yeah i don't know i mean that defense there's a lot of money on that defense so you'd yeah. like to see them play a little yeah. better oh, for sure i know they're they're solid but solid isn't what you know brought guys like sue into town yeah, so the, the big weakness is definitely on offense we were looking before the season started that Tannehill was going to be the big guy to lead the whole mm-hmm. offense down and and produce great points but after after the, his whole injury, then bringing in Cutler to try to learn the playbook, get yeah. it, get that team chemistry, all that right. going, it's tough. Uh, it's like yeah, his training camp was the first four yeah. to six weeks of the regular season. So, well, drafting quarterbacks is not good. Although that's probably the best way to yeah. to really build the franchise guy. Although maybe there's a silver lining here with mm-hmm. Garoppolo on the Niners. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can make that move for Cousins. He's going to be expecting some money. Yeah. And Hey, there are worse situations out there than Miami with that defense. If you got a guy like him in there, just a legit NFL quarterback, exactly. I mean, a lot of teams are going to fight over him, but oh, yeah, who yeah. knows? Yeah, the free agency will be crazy again, and to see what the draft produces is also going to be another, you know, it's always a wild ride. It's a crazy roller coaster, but uh, I like Tannehill a lot myself, uh, but I know he's coming into the big money contract year, and with his injuries yeah, that's, that's plagued him, it's, it's, it's definitely When well, he loses his wheels, that's going to be tough because mm-hmm. that really gives him that extra. I've never been the biggest Tannehill fan, mm-hmm. but when he is a effective, he's yes. running well and he's that's, you know rolling mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. But Benjamin, though, just to touch on him briefly, mm-hmm. he, I don't know, do you think there's something, I don't want to say off on him, but the guy set the league on fire, got injured. Yeah. Since he's come back, He's looked healthy, right. but hasn't produced. Is right. it maybe slipping? Is it his relationship with Cam souring? That was an odd trade. Like I didn't expect that to happen. Carolina's five and three. Right, right. No, I agree. Um, I was trying to look up articles as well, and the, from the little bits that I read, they were saying that uh, him and Funches have uh, very similar skill sets, uh, as well as Greg Olson. Even though he's been out for a couple of weeks in an in injury, he's planned to come back about week twelve or so. But the big why they said bye to Benjamin was first that they can actually get picks for the guy out of Buffalo and second because he's not as fast as the other Philly Brown or other uh, receiver that yeah. they have on their roster. Um, you got Samuel might be getting some play too. Exactly. Yeah. So so Carolina just wanted to part ways because they just felt like him and Funches weren't um, – it was too similar that why have two of the same guy. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it, when they looked at the statistics or they were, look, they were scouting themselves – there was a lot of uh, just saying that they're better off without Benjamin when he was hurt, that Funches was producing a lot more. They, the game plan was just not great when, with Benjamin on there, and so they just wanted to part ways and get something right. out of it. The timing is just odd to it me. Like very... mid-season, like right yeah. at the deadline, no rumbling, just gone. Mm-hmm. Agreed. But it's weird to see the Bills actually acquire someone, not just yeah. trade everyone away. Even though you didn't play uh, in tonight's uh, Thursday <laughs> No, I know. We're recording this after that game ended. and mm-hmm. It's the rivalry game, though, and it's Thursday night. So you add those two things together. I mean, a color rush game between two AFC East rivals. I mean, yeah. You can pretty much throw that out. The, the, what a mess the playoff <laughs> picture is. So we'll get to that in a second. But the sad news of the day in the NFL was Deshaun Watson. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was brutal. Yeah. Uh, I think any football fan will agree with that. A non-contact injury in practice. No one around him. 
And it's another injury. I read that stat. Like, if you go back to Tannehill in the preseason, yep. five of 32 quarterbacks out this year. Season-ending injuries, yeah. we're assuming, with Rodgers. But yeah. it's brutal. I mean, I wanted to see the kid play, and now yeah. we're robbed of that. Yeah, exactly. No, completely agree. Then you see uh, Twitter was just on fire with just praises and, and like, all these prayers and all that. Uh, it seems like he has it put together, and he's just a likable guy, yeah. dynamic. He's yeah. coming off of his best game by far of the season mm-hmm. against the Seahawks. Exactly. No, yeah, everyone was excited to just see more of him. But, yeah, it was very unfortunate that what happened because, yeah, even since Tannehill with the non-contact injuries, it's just it's sad to see all these quarterbacks going down and guess who's still in the free agency but won't get touched or yeah. spoken about. Yeah, that, you know, I, I agree he should be on a roster. But it, the other side of this is, and I think the Garoppolo trade touched on this, mm-hmm. it's hard to just go out there and play. Yeah. And I don't, I don't disagree with Kyle Shanahan saying we're not going to play him. I, I don't think for a second he won't play all year, oh, yeah. but I think it's going to be a few weeks before. Yeah, Because you put a quarterback, I was thinking, you remember that Josh Freeman game when the Vikings picked him up okay. and just tried to play him on Monday Night Football That's and right. it was embarrassing. Oh, it was bad. No playbook, you, know, you don't you know can't, knowledge, yeah, you can't, you, you can't you do need anything. some time there. For sure. Um, but yeah, we're all hoping Watson gets back. The other NFL news before we you know go into a few of these games coming up, Zeke Elliott looks like said looks like because we never know mm-hmm. there's still one last hurdle left but he is going to be suspended yeah and it's a long road that costs a lot of tax dollars money to figuring all this crap out but i it brings back to what i was saying he should have just accepted the suspension because he was always going to get suspended right exactly and now he's doing it at the time that hurts his team the most yeah pretty much pretty much he probably thought he was going to try to pull like a tom brady where he's going to mm-hmm. delay till next year and with fewer with fewer amount of games and all that but yeah, no. If he took the first first uh, part of the season, it would have been nicer. And right now, everyone's just hustling and trying to go into the free agency. Who they pick up for fantasy? For fantasy yeah. Is it Morris or is it McFadden? All the Cowboy fans are freaking out too. Oh, yeah. And and the biggest freakout is they might have the same record without Zeke through six. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really you know play that well early on. Mm-hmm. They got to play the Eagles twice here. Um, yeah. It's a mess, but. You know, there are a few games that are interesting this week. It's just been mediocrity across the board yeah. for the NFL. I keep saying it, but <laughs> who is the best team? Is it the Eagles, a team that we still haven't seen do it and just lost one of the best linemen of their generation? Right. So right. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Yeah, it's tough because yeah, I haven't watched an Eagles game myself, but yeah, I've seen the record and you know every at the end of the week. And yeah, I mean, the record speaks for them and all the stats and the history says that they're going to go to the Super Bowl and all that at this point. But we'll see what ends up happening because yeah, injuries can happen along the way and we just never know. Well, I'll tell you what game interests me the most and it's Atlanta-Carolina because these are two teams. It's one of the few good games I think all weekend. Yep. But we want another contender in the NFC. Rodgers is, is out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Zeke's out. The Cowboys might be fading. The Seahawks look good. They look like they're rising up. But which one of these a- NFC South teams do you think is going to have the edge this weekend and maybe down the season? The Falcons just can't figure it out for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting to see what, what, what's of the Panthers uh, team roster now without uh, Benjamin. We'll see how that offense produces and you know how well they, they feel that trade ends up being for them. But uh, and then you have Falcons who are always choking in the second half. I'm a uh, Newton fan. I know they've been they've been uh, not as as productive as in previous years, but I feel like Panthers can can uh, take out this victory even without Benjamin and without Greg Olson. I mean they're, they're missing a lot of key people, but McCaffrey and Newton, it's it's a little more star-studded pack uh, on their offense, and then on 
Julio Jones and Matt Ryan. They're a great combo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it'll be a nice shootout, hopefully. And it'll be very interesting, like you said, to watch. It'll be one of the better games. Yeah, if Atlanta doesn't win this game, this is when you start to say, what happened to this team? Yeah. You know, I, even though it's in Carolina, I think Carolina is a battle-tested team. But yeah. I, I got to think it, this is the, the rallying cry for Atlanta, a team that had their struggle with the Jets, you know, last yeah. week as well. Uh, and the other NFC South game, just to quickly touch on Saints Bucks. What happened at Tampa Bay? Is that that hard knocks curse? You know, you worked for a team that had the show. Right. Is there lingering effects afterwards? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's the overhype. But they feel all positive and and all happy because the ho- they got the public attention on them and all the eyes on them that they that they look like they're going to be a high producing offense. Have uh, OJ Howard drafted to have De- right. Jack Deshaun Jackson and. Mike Evans and just Winston back, but well, I did want to ask you about Jameis because as a Florida State guy, I just think he's too inconsistent. It's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that a guy with all these tools, and you could say inconsistent in a lot of ways on and off the field, yeah, because I think he seems like a nice guy. Oh yeah, he just is a little misguided at times. But when he's out there, he'll go from amazing throw. Mm -hmm. You know, what game was that? The Giants game where he led them down the field to uh, the game-winning field goal. Uh But then he'll just throw a pick into terrible coverage. So I I have a hard time believing in a team to consistently win when your quarterback's not making those throws. Ever since college, he's always trying to make like the the amazing plays, the oohs and ahs plays, trying to like extend the plays with his legs Mm -hmm. and trying to throw like into triple, quadruple coverage and just feel like he's going to just make it make it happen and i don't know i believe in his mind he's like more than more than likely or more than not he'll make those miracle plays rather than right. like get the, the, the negative I, mean, I, I get it i get yeah. the belief farb had it and you know yeah. sometimes you're a hero other times you're, you know it's like that oregon rose ball play where you're yeah. just falling down mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. saints though five straight i mean it's mm-hmm. it's defense is a little better the new orleans defense is a little better so they are um, but the other big game this week, Chiefs-Cowboys. Okay. Are the Chiefs back to being the Chiefs from early in the season? Two losses, which I don't ever want to give anybody a break on losses, but that Raiders game was yeah. just complete chaos. And, you know, you're going to lose some games in this league. Without Zeke, this is a statement chance for the Chiefs. And I still think, in my opinion, with the Steelers and Pats, they're right up there at the top of the AFC. No, agreed. Uh, yeah, looking at the Chiefs' defense, probably they'll take care. They're the ones who are really producing more points on the offense. I mean, I have Tyreek Hill on my fantasy. And, like, whenever Hill's doing well, it's because the offense is doing well. But the past couple of weeks, when he's producing no points and they're and whenever they get their wins, it's definitely the defense taking care of business, uh, either on special teams and defense, to yeah. just get those points. Who do you think... You know, because unfortunately for everybody listening out there, not a lot of big games this week, a lot of upset specials potentially. Um, but who do you think are the best teams? Who would you say right now that you have some faith on? Do I don't want to say go to the Super Bowl, but make a good run, finish the NFL season on a high note. A lot of people in the NFC are thinking Seattle, especially with adding a lineman. Russ looking pretty good. But do you have anybody out there? Um, I like the Steelers. I like the Steelers. Hopefully um, not personally. I'm just I don't no, like no, no, no. Okay, they just, just, good. yeah. <laughs> um, the Steelers, you know, Big Ben, Lev Bell, uh, Antonio Brown, Juju. Now the big, you know, breakout star. Of yeah. the, um, so it's a rough week for Martavis Bryant. Yeah, yeah. Say. yeah, that one, that one is tough on him. But uh, no, I, I, and then their defense as well. They're also stopping when they need to get stops and everything. So I'm not in love with with the Eagles on on the NFC side. 
And Seattle, I mean, I have Doug Baldwin, who's always let me down the first like five <laughs> weeks of that offense. I feel like doesn't produce, but now yeah. it looks like Russell Wilson. In the past week or two, he he's caught up, but uh, I feel like he may go back to like a little inconsistency in the second half. So we'll see. Hopefully, he stays standard and all good because for my fantasy sake. Yeah, they but, can't run the ball too. Yeah. That's the other thing. It's crazy. Yeah. If they ever got a running game, I mean, mm-hmm. wow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mentioned the Saints. I just. I don't know. There's something weird about that Minnesota team because if Bridgewater can come back, yeah. I like Zimmer as a coach. Mm-hmm. I like that defense. I don't. I mean, the you go to London and play the team as bad as the Browns. I mean, weird things are going to happen. Yeah. But I don't know. I just the Minnesota team seems interesting to me too. Um, but in the AFC, unfortunately, I would have to agree the Steelers look good. Yeah. Uh, and but, the Super Bowl effect that goes to the Super Bowl effect, like we were speaking with yeah. the Falcons earlier, because the Patriots aren't the, themselves uh, yeah. after last year's Super Bowl. They they just got the Super Bowl effect, and they're not looking too hot. You know, they're always going to be there, but defensively, um, they have their weaknesses. Yeah. Hey, Ed Rapino, this was fun. Appreciate you. you coming on. I do have to ask you one last thing. So, with anybody in sports, it's all about the side projects and uh-huh. stuff. Do you have anything on the side you're working on or doing your spare time to kind of get out there, publish or anything? No, on the side, I just like uh, yelping. I like to go out okay. to new restaurants and try new foods from different you know places yeah. around the world. That's that's kind of my thing. And then uh, I like playing football, which I do on Saturdays. I go to play beach football, flag football out uh, in Santa Monica and have a good time like that. So and I'm a big movie watcher. I got Movie Pass, which oh, is wow. uh, like for ten dollars a month, you're able to go unlimited movies to these movie theaters. You should That's check it, it out. Ten dollars yeah, a month. Yeah, with one movie ticket, you yeah, already you've already <laughs> paid it back. So oh, wow. uh, I do that either from LA Live, that Regal Cinema, that yeah, has a yeah. great 40x um, kind of experience that you should check out. But yeah, movies are kill the time while the commute goes exactly, down too. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You see, you already feel me, so yeah. that's how it goes. Well, you're in the right city to do that <laughs> and to do uh, yelping for best food that <laughs> oh, you can get. Plenty of I mean, options. It's, I still need to check out Koreatown. I've heard oh, amazing things. Yeah. And, you know, plenty but, of great food there. But hey, this was fun. Thank you, Rufino. Thanks for coming on the show. Hope to have you back soon. Thank and uh, you. good luck with everything. Thank you very much. That's it for today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Thanks to everybody for being a part of it. Brad for Bruds, Edward Pino for taking some time to be the guests. Brian Nelson for designing the logo. Tim Adams for supplying the beats. And if you like this show, you can leave a rating, a review, subscribe, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. we got some more sports coming up this weekend, some big events. And yeah, check out Serving Up Stats. i got to plug it at the end of the show, too. It's a new Tennis Channel series. We put out episodes weekly, every Thursday. So check us out. There'll be a few more coming up uh, at the end of the season. But every Thursday, check us out. One to two minutes of your favorite stats. Most interesting stats. Stuff you probably don't know. I had to research a lot of this stuff. So, uh, But a great team helping everybody out there uh, putting this video together. So hopefully you guys check that out. Watch all the sports. It's baseball season is over, but basketball and hockey are picking up. Kings are still on fire. How about that? And uh, some interesting events. Football season in full effect. If you're playing fantasy football, don't get too stressed out, even if you're the worst team in the league. Not like it's me or anything. But I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports, and I'll see you.